0: Hey everyone, Ethan here. Before we get into this episode, I wanna tell you about a free virtual conference I'm gonna be holding on January 4th. It's called Three Things You Need to Know to Build Your Furniture Brand in 2022. I'm gonna be talking about a lot of the lessons learned here on this show, and I'll also be taking questions from you all, hearing about what problems you may be having in your furniture business and how I can help. So if you're interested in this free event, check out buildingafurniturebrand.com and click on the link to register. And then join me on January 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to talk all about the furniture business. Hope to see you all there. Now on with the show.
1: Uh, Just even thinking about the first couple of months of of starting, it just makes me want to throw up because there's just so much, so much fear.
0: That's the voice of Bao Loy, owner of Design Craft Workshop, and I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project, to getting paid, to everything in between, Jobber's software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com slash ethan, or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Bao Loy, Owner of the Houston, Texas based furniture company Design Craft Workshop. Bao is about a year into his furniture company, and although he is not new to working for himself, starting a new company, whether you've done it before or not, comes with a lot of new experiences. Some good and some hard. But as any business owner knows, you take the good with the bad and you grow. And Bao is doing just that, expanding his business based on having a solid plan in place being able to diversify his income and learning to accommodate change as just another part of growth. Follow along as we talk about expanding your client base with social media, the importance of contracts to get you paid, adding employees to your company, and much more. Bao has learned a lot so far about all aspects of the furniture business. So let's get into it and hear about his experiences in his own words.
1: I started out like a lot of people in the corporate world um, i'm worked in architecture i'm a licensed architect i still have my license i still plan on maintaining my license even though i'm doing woodworking full time i think it's more of like a pride thing going through that intensive uh, education to call myself an architect but in terms of like the woodworking i've i've done a lot of woodworking in college mainly on scale models so we had a really high-end state-of-the-art uh, wood shop that you know whatever you could think of whatever you can imagine you can go into the wood shop and you can make it about 3d printers CNCs table saws pretty much everything metalworking whatever you wanted to do um, so my background in woodworking was mainly scale models doing scale models for um, for college for presentations and things like that after I got out of uh, I graduated college 2013 I, I miss the aspect that architecture school built inside of me, which is the, the um, hands-on model making process. And in practice, you know, we don't build models anymore. Everything is done on the computer. We build things on um, 3D models, 2D plans, and we present that to the client. Um, so that aspect of building with my hands, I really missed it. So I went out and bought a table saw And that was the big first purchase that I I did for my shop was I knew that the table saw was the heart of the, the wood shop. So I I invested in the saw stop right off the bat and I loved it. So I started to do woodworking on the side. Of course, like with a lot of people, you know, we started off doing cutting boards, doing it as gifts for our family members and such. And from there, things just started to build up. I started to get more clients for like more cabinets and things like that. I was still working full time as an architect and after i got my license i i knew that i wanted to incorporate the aspect of of woodworking into my work building models or whatever it is or or just construction in general so i went to work for a construction company and i i learned a lot about the construction side of building and making things on site working with a lot of the guys on the field learning from them from directly from the subcontractors how to put a building together so I was really fascinated about that um, but there was still this aspect of, of being behind the computer that I really didn't like about the job so I ended up opening up my own architecture practice doing design as well as construction mainly focusing on hospitality doing hotel designs as well as restaurant and retail spaces office spaces a lot of the retail spaces I actually built myself with a, a crew of subcontractors. Some of the stuff I actually built um, on my own, uh, built in-house. But again, like there's this aspect of, of being behind the computer, just working on drawings all day, eight hours a day that I totally didn't like. And so I decided when COVID happened, a lot of the clients that I was working on, they either cancel their jobs or they put it on hold. And we didn't know exactly when they were going to start back up uh, because hospitality, as, as many of us knew at that time, nobody was opening restaurants. Nobody was traveling. So hotels weren't getting built. So all the jobs I was working on, it was pretty much gone. Um, but I did have a, a client base that I was slowly building on the, on the woodworking side. And so I kind of doubled down on that. And this past year uh, in February, I stopped taking on architecture projects, and I just focused solely on the woodworking. So I officially opened up Design Craft Workshop LLC, and that is uh, where I am now.
0: I love how your story is kind of a Goldilocks thing, where building the small architectural models, the the tiny to scale things, was was too small for you, and building the big buildings that you did and doing full build outs was too big. And you found this just right experience in building furniture where it was giving you all of the creativity from both of those worlds in a manageable package that you could, you could build yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, it was finding that balance, you know, like being the creative person and wanting to make that, idea come to life with my own hands i think that was where i was trying to connect the two and architecture was great in that i was able to to formulate this this design idea and somebody else would then take control of how that idea would become a reality and i felt like you know that that there's a disconnect there that i wanted to address and i wanted to kind of get more control of so that kind of led me on to doing the construction side of things and again you know there was still this this involvement of letting go of the idea and allowing somebody else to take charge of it Um, but with furniture making with what what I'm doing now I have full control of the entire process from the design all the way to how it's constructed how it's built and I'm not sacrificing on any of that aspect, uh, which is really important to me. Because when a client comes to me for a commission project, they're entrusting me and my design abilities to make their furniture piece, their whatever they whatever they're looking for, come to life. So if if I ever take myself away from that process, I'm not I'm not giving the client a good service. I'm not fully putting myself into that space
0: you're taking it in your own hands and that's what people do when they start their own furniture companies it's something that's pulling them and people can create things in different ways and build furniture in different ways but owning your own company is a pull on you that makes you think i can do this i can do this better than i see it out there and i want to put all of myself in that. And that's what owning your own furniture business is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of that is when you were talking about how you could do it better than what's already out there. A lot of the times, you know, like when we talk to clients, or at least when I talk to clients, they don't understand the difference between a solid wood piece of furniture compared to what they would find at, you know, a big box store. Like, I don't know we can name brands or anything like that, like Ikea or something like that. You could maybe edit that out if if it's too much.
0: (laughs) Nope. As... Much as I like this show, I'm I'm not sure IKEA is listening in, so I think you're good.
1: <laughs> yeah, so a client goes out to to IKEA, and then they they show me what they want, and part of it is they don't know what exactly they're buying, you know. And I think as furniture makers and um, as business owners, it's it's our job to educate them, you know. Why is it that you're charging three times or four times more than IKEA? Well. Part of that, the client doesn't really understand what they're getting and what they're about to buy from Ikea. Um, so trying to educate the client, trying to give them that information, I think it's very vital in what we do as furniture makers, what we do as creators, to allow them to better understand the world or the, the, the um, furniture making process.
0: An educated customer is going to be a better customer for you. And that's not saying that they have to be in the shop with you while you're building. That's not saying that they have to know every single part of the process, but if you are if you're building furniture for a client, it doesn't matter what type of furniture you're building for them, you should explain what you're doing. You should educate that customer because not only is the process going to go easier for you, I'm not saying you have to go overboard and and give them all the information, but they become enlightened into the process and understand it better. And that translates to understanding the price. That translates to understanding if a piece needs to take longer. That translates into, once they get the piece in their home, to treating that piece better than they would, say, just something that they bought at a big box store they're grounded in that piece. They know the history of that piece and they can experience that build along with you.
1: Yep. Yep. And even one of the biggest thing that comes out of that conversation, educating your client is you now become the expert. And that is very vital in that relationship with the client because now they trust you, right? And Building that trust is where you want. That's how you get returning customers. That's how you get them to come back for more builds. That's how you get them to come back and and recommend you to their other friends, right? So you wanna build that rapport with them. And I think for me, at least the success that I've had and the reason why I feel like I had a really good foundation to jump off of going doing this full time and having that type of runway is social media, like the value of social media. I think it's, it's so important because what I post on Instagram, what I post on YouTube, it allowed the client to be part of that journey. All of the comments and captions that I share showing the process, it lets the client know, this is somebody who knows what they're doing. This is somebody who is reliable, um, all the details. All of the the aspects that this guy is focusing on, that's what made a lot of the clients chose me.
0: Social media is important. There's no downplaying that. It's the biggest way you can advertise your business at this point. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have gotten a lot of commissions, a lot of projects, a lot of orders for furniture that they're building off of their accounts. So not downplaying it at all, but there is something to be said about the actual builds and the actual physical builds and clients being happy with those builds. And I want to bring the conversation back to how you started your business. And that is you were building out these spaces with a crew or sometimes just yourself, but you were building out these quality spaces and when things slowed down, you said, now I'm gonna take that quality in a different way, but still under my name, and I'm gonna build furniture from there. So building that reputation of quality is so incredibly important because yes, social media is great, but you're not always selling to people who are following you or commenting or liking your pictures. You're looking for people who actually are buying the pieces.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Like. In the end, you know, of course, like the quality has to be there and you want to make sure that you're practicing your craft and you're making sure that you're advancing your skills every single day. You're in the shop doing something that's going to challenge you, make sure that it's pretty much perfect by the time that the client gets it. Because sometimes the client doesn't, they won't get their piece of furniture maybe two to three months after they sign a contract with you. So whenever they're looking at your project, your projects that you're working on two three months before they get theirs, by the time they get their furniture, they have to be even more wowed than at the time that they were looking at, at you as a potential uh, a builder.
0: And that's the truth. You want to, with the social media, or with advertising or with putting your name out there, you want to continuously be putting your best foot forward. But I always like to caution people with their social media that, the success of their social media is not necessarily linked directly to the success of their furniture company, which is a hard concept to have and a hard concept to wrap your mind around because you think everybody is liking these pieces, then that means I'm being successful. But if you're not selling those pieces and if those people aren't buying your pieces, then there's a little bit of a disconnect. And it it also goes the other way too. If you're not feeling successful on social media, that doesn't mean you're necessarily not successful in your own furniture business, because maybe your social media doesn't have a worldwide appeal. Maybe it's staying small, but that small following is actually buying your pieces. It goes both ways. And this could be a whole other conversation, the idea of having success on social media and how it relates to you being successful, selling your actual furniture, but we don't need to get into that right now. But I a hundred percent agree with you that, that advertising on social media is the best way at this point to get your name out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree um, what you're saying about making sure that the client is, is actually buying from you. That's how you determine your success. Like you, you can't just post final photos or final uh, products. And it works really well on Instagram. They get a lot of likes, but in the end, are you converting those into actual purchases and actual customers? That's the most important part to know that you're being successful.
0: Exactly. Now, your business as a standalone business is young. And that is a very, very, exciting time for business. And it's a stressful time too, especially with the way the world is right now, where things are changing daily. But you have this new business, you have this new thing that is all yours. And yes, you had that long track record of making quality furniture through your architectural firm. And yes, you already have established yourself before you made this jump. But Now you did make that jump and you don't have that parachute. A lot of people think about making that jump, but they they're afraid. They're afraid to leave a good paycheck to go out on their own and do something. But you did that. So let's talk a little bit about the beginning of your company, the first few months of your company and what you've been seeing that's different than what you expected it to be.
1: Oh, man. Uh, just even thinking about the first couple of months of, of starting, it just makes me want to throw up because there's just so much so much fear. Like I think it's it's normal to feel that way. It's normal because we're so we're so trained to think that we need the stability of a nine to five job, that paycheck that comes in every two weeks or so to to make us feel comfortable with our lives. I think the biggest part was having a good support. Um, I think my wife, uh, she has been probably the biggest cheerleader for me uh, to do this thing that um, that I wanted to do, to live my dreams and, and build furniture. And so having somebody who really supports you, I think for me, it, it helps a lot. Um, but I would say it's very different for everybody. My advice, if anybody wants to take it, is figure out what you're comfortable with. For me, I... I knew I needed to pay the bills, and I knew that taking care of my family was the most important thing. So I planned for this well in advance. I knew that this is something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I planned for every single aspect of it in terms of finances. So I made sure that I had six months worth of income. That's something that I knew that I needed. If if I didn't have a single job coming in for six months, I knew that... I, I had six months worth of, of leeway for me to work around and try to find a job or, or if I needed to, then go back to do my nine to five or whatever. Um, so I had six months worth of income saved up. I have already uh, was able to establish some relationship with, um, with clients and things like that in terms of woodworking. None of, none of these clients, by the way, were from my architecture job. Like none of these clients were from the commercial side of things that I've I built for them in terms of retail spaces, in terms of hotels. All the clients that I got up into that point, up to the point of of doing full time woodworking, was based off of me posting and and getting the relationships through Instagram and and them knowing about me. So, I had the client base, and I had the six months worth of income. That for me was my safety net because that's just who I am. Like I. I want to feel secure that I have money coming in uh, to pay the bills. That's the most important thing. But for some people out there, sometimes some people they enjoy that that high stress environment and that makes them perform well. So some people might just up and leave their their company to start up their own thing and and that's perfectly fine too. But that's definitely not the approach that I took mine was way more calculated than that. Yeah. So I would say have a good support system, somebody who can, can help you and support you throughout the entire journey. Um, figure out what is m- most comfortable for you before you make that jump. And after that, I'm going to say it's, it's not going to get easy. Like just because you planned everything for me, there was still this, this fear of like, man, like, what if, what if my stuff, you know, is sucks. What if nobody hires me? What if, um, what if I actually can't do this? What if, what if I'm going to fail at it? What would my, my family think? Um, there was a lot of internal battles mentally uh, uh, that I needed to work through. And I think after a few months, you know, you, you start to realize that, hey, it's, it's all part of this business process. It's all part of building that business. And once you realize that, um, it starts to be more free. You start to free up your mind. Start to free up, uh, kind of like your your lifestyle a little bit more. You try to you start to to change your lifestyle a little bit, and I think um, that's another key factor as well. Um, it, it sometimes is a sacrifice, and uh, we did have to change up our lifestyle in terms of what we're going to spend money on, what we're going to do during the weekends. And I think from what I was reading, on average, about 3 to 5 years before you really have a stable business. Um I think that's that's the statistics. So it is going to be um it, it's going to take a little bit of a sacrifice and you got to be okay with with um with that sacrifice.
0: When you said it's not going to get easy, I I smiled because as somebody who's been doing this for a long time personally and as somebody who's talked with a lot of successful furniture company owners, I can say for certain that it never gets easy. Yes, it becomes less hard, but it never gets to that point where it's just smooth sailing here to the horizon. It's always going to be hard and jumping into something as big as leaving your job or leaving what you had before and starting a furniture company is great but it's a hard profession to be in it's a hard profession if you don't have everything in order it doesn't get easy but if you go in with a plan then at least it can feel a little bit easier
1: yeah and kind of just seeing um what you can do to to diversify where your income is coming in right i think as a business owner you want to make sure that um, yeah you want to still do the commission you want to still build furniture for for your clients but are you always going to serve the clients who are going to pay you well or are you going to have the perfect you know commission come in every single time the reality is no you're, you're not you know i i still take on smaller jobs i take on big jobs and it's just a wide variety of different things that, that I do. So being able to diversify what you're building um, I think that definitely helps in terms of the income stream. So for me, it's, it's doing the YouTube for me, it's um, selling products that uh, I can quickly make and get out of the door. So having those streams of, of income definitely helps in the long run.
0: Let's talk about projects. Let's talk about commissions that come in for the furniture part of your business. Now, you said that a lot of your commissions in the beginning and probably still now are from, were from social media. People saw your work and they said, I want this, or can you make this? Let's talk about how that process works for you, where somebody reaches out and they say, I want a piece of furniture. What's the next step for you?
1: The next step for me would be have a to, to have a conversation with them about what they're looking to get built. Um, the biggest question that I always bring up is budget. I know that a lot of people, they they don't want to tell you their budget because they're worried that you might, you know, spend all of their budget. And I think that's up to you to to be an honest person and to realize that you're trying not to, to cheat them or anything like that. Um, the budget really tells me what materials I can use and how big of a project um, that I could build for them if they if they have some kind of idea of, of sizes um, to make sure that the budget fits pretty much their, their needs. Uh, or can I even make whatever they're asking for based off of their budget? So that's how I... I kind of explain to the client um, what the budget is for. And from there, if if we can agree on a budget together, then that's when I send over a contract and I take 50% deposit. Um, in terms of timing, I don't really tell the client exactly when I can deliver, when I can start their project. I give them a rough idea, uh, but I do tell them that, hey, you know, it could change. Um, so I just take the clients based off of whoever comes in first, And I will let you know two weeks or three weeks in advance when your project is going to uh, start. Um, That's how I handle the timing because, again, all these projects that we're working on is fully custom and there's no really way, there's no real way for me to tell them exactly when it's going to get done. It's just impossible.
0: That budget dance is always so hard because it's right at the beginning of the relationship, the furniture maker and the client relationship where everybody's still feeling each other out and seeing, do I even want to work with this other person? And then whenever money gets involved, it always just muddies the water. And that's where, going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, educating your client from the very start about what the project is going to be and how you're going to go about it is very important because with custom furniture, the sky's the limit, you know, that somebody says, I want a table made out of wood. And you say, okay, here's 50 different species that you could pick from all with varying prices. So you need more information. And that is when you have that back and forth with the client and really figure out exactly what they're looking for before you go any further.
1: Right. And the reality is a client, they do have a budget in mind, like sometimes client would say, I, I don't have a budget or I, I don't know how much this is going to cost. Um, and to those clients, I, I just ask them, how much are you willing to spend? Right? Because that will give us an understanding of where we can start. Because where you can start is, is the most important part with a client who doesn't know exactly what what they're, what they're trying to ask for. Because they can give you a picture and they can look up pricing on, you know, IKEA or whatever, wherever they're going to find a piece of furniture. But ultimately, they don't really know exactly what's involved in the process. So trying to figure out what the budget is and what the scope of work is, is very important in the beginning so that one, you're not going to to lose money doing something that is not in the scope of work or more than the scope of work that you guys discussed in the beginning. And also, you're not wasting your time because there are clients who just want to shop around, right? And having a budget conversation in the beginning will let you determine whether or not this client is right for you. Because if if a client comes to me and they say, I want a walnut uh, dining room table that I saw on this magazine and on the magazine, they only charge $1,000 for it. I am gonna say, hey, I can't do it. That's that's not going to be um, a job that I can help you on. If the magazine or whatever retail that you're going to is giving you that walnut table for a thousand dollars, I think that's a steal. You should definitely buy it. And that's perfectly fine. Like not every single client you got to pick up, you know.
0: Yeah, you don't have to chase every single job. Some jobs just aren't right for you. Yeah, and that comes with knowing your business, knowing. The back end of your business, knowing how much money, how much time, how much resources you can devote to each project to get the return that you want. Right.
1: And in the beginning, I think it's a it's a big temptation to do that because you're so excited in the beginning to have somebody just want you to build a table for them. But I, I would I would caution you to take on every single project in the beginning because. Sometimes when you say no to a client, it opens the door up for a bigger yes down the line, because maybe this client is going to take too much time from your from your your workspace, or that you can't work on a client that might come later down the line that's going to give you a better budget and it's be a better project. So uh, definitely look at each client to make sure that it's a client that you want to work with.
0: I have to imagine coming from an architectural background where you're dealing with large scale projects. You're dealing with a lot of moving parts, a lot more than what a normal piece of furniture entails. And I have to imagine coming from that background that the contracts that you have in place are probably pretty in depth. They probably cover you a lot because coming from that architectural background, you know, That if you get in the weeds with a building that's being built and then there's discrepancies once it's already there, that you can't just take that building back. So you need to have rock solid contracts. And the same with furniture. If you're spending all this time building a piece and then it gets to delivery, yes, it's smaller than say an entire hotel, but you don't want to take that back at the end. You don't want there to be issues with the client and you don't want that piece sitting in your home. So Let's talk a little bit about your contracts and how you go about not only keeping clients happy but getting money at the end of the day for the projects that you build.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it's very different from from the contracts that I've um, I've done in architecture and construction, mainly um, because it's, it's there's not much liability involved with furniture making with uh, construction and architecture, there's tons of liability and you want to make sure that you're covering every single aspect of those liabilities and that's why you have insurance and things like that um, but in terms of of, of furniture making, it's very simple, it's very straightforward I, I think so the contracts that I work with it's not very complicated, there are certain things that uh, part of the education process um, is covered in the contract, things like I can't control the wood tones. I can't control um, uh, the finishings uh, in terms of like the tonal color of the wood. I can't control the wood grains because sometimes when a client comes to me and they want multiple items and they expect it all to be the same, clients don't realize that sometimes products that they buy on the shelf, it's it's printed, it's not wood, right? So you have that um, that consistency in terms of how the wood looks. Um, so things like that, uh, that I really can't control. I put out in the contract in terms of payment. I make sure I get 50% down. That's the only way that I can put them on the list. And if, if they don't give me the 50% down, I I can't control if they're going to be pushed back or, or uh, I'm not waiting on them to to secure that job. I need to move on to another job. I need to move on to another client. So that 50% down guarantees their position in the line and also guarantees that I'm going to work on their job. And then before uh, delivery and uh, or before delivery or pickup whatever the client wants, um, then they need to send the final 50% before that time. Uh, but it really depends on the scale of the project. If it's like a really big project, then I might take a a, a 75% completion um payment so there's a 50 75 and then 100 at that time before delivery or if it's a smaller job then it'll be 50 and then 100 um just really depends on the job but that 50 that that last 50 percent I make sure to get it before delivery before I they even see the final product anything after that it's um it's really hard to from my experience in the construction side uh, that the last payment is always the hardest that the client, doesn't really want to to pay you. Um, there's there's always going to be clients out there who who will. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate, but they're going to try to discount you at the end of the job, pick out things that that are really out of your control in terms of 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 the final product. Uh, again, things like the color and things like that. You know, um, so you want to make sure that you're getting paid upfront, hundred percent before delivery. At least that's what I do when it comes to. The warranty and all of that stuff, I put that in the contract as well. What's covered in the warranty? um, Things like, you know, it's very, very typical. Again, like with furniture, it's not that complicated. If it's quality, craftsmanship, then that's covered in the warranty. If something falls off, then that's covered in the warranty. But if it's like regular use, if you're scratching it, uh, if the client scratches the finishes, or if they're um, doing something to ding it, then anything damaged, then that's up to them. That's not covered in the warranty. I service all of the products or the furniture pieces. Um, so a client can always pay me to come out to refinish or, or to, to service in some kind of way. But that's definitely not something that you want to pay for, whether it be time or money to, to take care of later on. You want to make sure that you covered yourself under those warranties.
0: I agree that contracts for an entire building are different than contracts for say a chair or a table but you also have to keep in mind that once it goes out in the world it's out of your shop it's out of your control and you can't always make sure it's a great client you can't always make sure it's a client who wants to pay on time or who won't damage the piece or who won't complain about things so yes they're definitely different but it's still important to have a very solid contract in place before you send something out the door because once it's gone, it's out of your hands. And and if you don't have something in place, then you, you are in trouble. And before I forget, I also just want to say that, yes, I agree that furniture is not as intense as architecture when it comes to insurance, but just a reminder to people listening that you do need insurance for your furniture business or you were just asking for trouble in the future.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the biggest way that you can um, cover yourself is I start to do um, just 3D sketches of, of the final product. And I make sure that the client signs off on it. Like this is the dimensions that you're going to get. Anything in terms of like the way that it's going to look like dimension wise, uh, scaled, um, all that needs to be figured out way in advance. And you make sure that the client understands dimensions understands the the way that the details are going to look so that you're pretty much covered in that aspect because the last thing you want to do is you build something for the client and then later on it may not fit because not because you built it to the wrong specs but because there's something that happened maybe it's a vanity that they didn't um, measure right or they didn't Um, they didn't give you the right measurements or maybe they built like the, the walls of a different size. You want to make sure all of that's covered to make sure that they're not charging you or they're not blaming you for the, for the um, not getting the, the size, right?
0: Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely double, triple, quadruple check any type of built-in that you are building because things change, site conditions change. And As the furniture builder, you're the last one holding the hat on that one, and you have to make sure that you are covered. Yep. Yep. Now, another thing that is happening in your business is employees. Making that move into the direction of expanding your business, which is something that people who want to scale up their business strive for. So let's talk about this new step for you, going from jumping out on your own and saying, I want this all in my hands. I want to control the destiny of each piece of furniture that comes from my shop to now putting it in the hands of somebody else. And that is a hard jump, not only with the parts that come with having an employee, like insurance and paychecks and making sure all personalities work well together, but also in the way that you are giving your dream to somebody else and you can't always control it. It's in somebody else's hands. So let's talk about that experience you've had so far.
1: Yeah, and I think this came out of um me well me hiring the part-time employee his name is Andy um, is I just needed help like I just needed help doing a lot of the tasks that kind of took away from me actually building stuff so the main task that that Andy has for the shop is working on the uh, the product side of things so the products that I have on my Etsy um, all the trays and all of the boards that I have on there Andy works on the sanding and finishing for that aspect, and soon I'm going to get him on the CNC uh, to, to kind of run that side of the things. Um, so he'll be handling the, the the product side. I'm going to handle the commission side. Um, so in terms of of why I hired him, it's because of of mainly time. I I wanted to free myself up. Uh, and give myself more time to work on the commission. So having Andy there doing a lot of the product side, definitely helped in that aspect. Um, And I I think going back to what you're saying about handing it off to somebody, I definitely had that fear. um, The fear kind of inside of me, not really knowing how this person will affect the final product. And I think realizing that, everybody is unique in a certain way and they bring their uniqueness in terms of crafts and, and, um, um, how they want to finish a product. They bring that to the actual product itself and being okay with that, uh, was the most difficult part for me because I wanted things to look a certain way because that's how I envisioned it. That's how I, I planned for it. Um, but when you add somebody else into the equation, it's, it's never going to be that way. So you have to, well, for me, I had to really tell myself that this is Andy's um, kind of, this is his way of finishing the product. And hopefully with my guidance, it can lead him towards what I look for in a final product. Um, so in the beginning it was definitely... A learning process for me because I had to teach him how to how to finish the entire uh, piece, how to sand and things like that. Because he only has you know very limited shop experience, so I had to s- slow down in terms of how I educated him because I needed to make sure he understood the entire process. And I think for us furniture makers, for business owners who have been doing it for a while, when you hire somebody. It's it's always you know you you kind of maybe rush through things in terms of explaining how things are done, and um, and when it comes to the the employee, they may not voice their opinion you know, and they may not ask questions that that are needed um, for them to really understand what's going on. So there's a communication aspect that you got to work around. Uh, Andy knows how I want the product to be finished. Um, And, you know, he has his own way of of doing that. So um, I'm kind of okay with letting him have free reign over there to finish the products for me.
0: If you bring on an employee, you have to be okay with somebody not doing it exactly the way you do it. They should do it close to the way you do it. They should do it as close as they can. But they're not you. You can't be every place at the same time, and if you do want your company to grow, and if you do have that in your mind that you want to scale your company, you always have to remember that you can't make these people be you. You have to, as a boss, not as a furniture maker anymore, but as a boss, you have to be able to take the skills that those people have, And the way they build things and what they're contributing to the final product. And you have to incorporate that into your plan. You can't force them to be you, but as the boss, you can work around their skills to make your product better.
1: Right, right. And part of that is you got to educate them as well. Like that's your responsibility as, as the boss is to teach them and to hopefully Um, they can gain the skills that you have learned and they can um, produce a a piece of of furniture or product that is up to your standard. And I think uh, having that standard is where you want to focus. It's not necessarily doing something exactly like how you're going to do it, but as long as the final piece is within the standard of quality that you're looking for, I think um, they would appreciate that freedom as well
0: it's setting end goals it's setting this is what it should be and the way you get there changes when you add different hands into the mix and right. and talking about end goals your end goal was to start a furniture company to start your own furniture company and that is what you have done that is what you are doing right now and it is going well it is successful and there are people out there who also have that end goal of starting a furniture company. They want to leave the job they're in, they want to leave what they're doing now, and start their own furniture company, just like you did. And there's also people out there who have done this for a long time, and they just don't feel like they're getting the success that they want from their company. So as somebody who has those fresh eyes still into leaving another job to start their own company. What's some advice that you could give to people out there who want to follow in your footsteps and have a successful furniture company?
1: I think for for those who are contemplating on, on taking the leap, I would say, what do you have to lose? Um, if you're miserable at your job like I was if you're miserable in your career like I was, you're already losing. You're losing time. And I think especially for those who don't have a family, for especially those who who are able to take in a little bit more risk and again, like risk, it's, it's subjective. It's up to you like how much you want to risk. Um, but for me, it was if I did not take that leap, if I didn't do what I wanted to do and and pursue this I would at at the end of my life I would probably not be very happy with myself so I knew that I needed to at least try I I needed to at least give this a shot see where it goes no matter what um, what it took so if you're in that position where you're not really happy with where you're at like if you're not happy now like why are you still there like why do you keep Putting yourself in that position. Granted, I know that every single one of us has different circumstances. Again, that goes back to the risk. Uh, what are you doing to take? What steps are you taking so that you can make that leap? Um, that's what I would say for those who who are in that position. If you're doing this for a long time, maybe look at you know what you can do differently in terms of technology, in terms of of um, introducing new creative skills into your your tool belt things like maybe designing on on the computer doing more uh maybe do different type of design things like that maybe maybe you have to look at what the market is asking for and maybe you're not producing what the market is is wanting to receive um things like you know the the furniture types the furniture language the design language things like that like are you really educating yourself in terms of of bettering yourself as a builder bettering yourself as a designer as a maker kind of reigniting that spark that you had when you first start i think that's also very important and and trying to constantly build yourself up better every single day every single project that you take on trying to do it better trying to to even um, yeah just trying to to make a better piece of furniture every single time and challenge yourself with with a different type of of design
0: the idea of communication has really been a thread through this entire conversation whether it's with clients and having a conversation with them about their pieces or with employees and making sure they understand what the final goals are, or with the community as a whole and putting yourself out there to learn from other people, not only for your business, but for your skills at building. And I just wanna thank you for coming on the show and, and letting everybody hear your journey and talking through what you have gone through already So thank you for that from me and also from everybody listening out there.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ethan. I do hope that um, somebody out there can relate to the journey that I've went through and uh, hopefully it helps them, you know, take the next step in their career.
0: I'm sure you've helped a lot of people.
1: Thanks, Ethan. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com.